Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Foundations in Faith. Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at Mass. And now, Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane. This is Father Frank Lane, and we're continuing our program, Foundations in Faith. We're going to continue looking at the Gospel according to St. Mark, and today we're going to look at Chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. It's a pretty simple, straightforward gospel, but there are a lot of implications we might want to look at and we might want to explore. And uh, it begins, and the commentators tell us that uh, Mark either didn't have a, uh, a very good sense of the geography of uh, Palestine, or, um, or he didn't much care about it, because in the beginning, it says when Jesus is returning from the district of Tyre, Jesus went by way of Sidon towards the Sea of Galilee, right through the Decapolis region. And um, that's about as roundabout as, as you can possibly get if he's heading, as he's heading to Galilee. And so it's, it's kind of a, it just shows that there's a certain amount of indifference in the gospel to things that are detailed um, in order that they might hurry and, and get to the main point. And the main point is this. They brought Jesus, a deaf man, who had an impediment in his speech, and they asked him to lay hands on him. He took them aside in private, away from the crowd, put his fingers into the man's ears, and touched his tongue with spittle. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed, and he said to him, Ephata, um, that is, be open. And his ears were open, and the ligament of his tongue was loosened, and he spoke clearly. So this is the heart, this is the core of the gospel story, is the healing of, uh, of the man who was deaf and, and who had a speech impediment. And there's a few things. Part of this complicated geography that Mark gives us is the fact that Jesus is in Gentile territory when this happens. And there is this ambiguous, they brought him a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech. And so that kind of ambiguity, who is the they? We know from experience that the apostles usually don't do something like that. That usually comes from someone else, from the locals somehow. So what's happening then is Jesus enters the Decapolis, enters into the region of the Decapolis, the, the Gentile territories, and, um, and even the Gentiles, the unbelievers, recognize him, someone who had great power. And while um, they're not really dealing with the... Uh, with the idea of a Messiah, they nevertheless know that this man from Galilee, this, this Jew who is among them, has extraordinary powers, and they're drawn to him for that reason. And so they bring him the deaf man, and they ask him to lay hands on him. They even know what they want him to do, how they want him to do it. They know kind of the ritual of healing. And... Uh, but they bring him to him in great confidence and trust. And this tells us a great deal about the reputation of Jesus and about who Jesus was as a person. He was widely known, if not widely accepted. He was widely recognized, if not widely liked. And in that sense, he becomes, in this story, in the very beginning of this story, in the midst of a Gentile world, in the midst of a semi-pagan world at least, that people at least know who he is. And those who are in great need of something have no, no qualms about turning to him. 
I think that that's come to very similar to the world in, we, in which we live, which is, which is uh, in a process of continuing secularization, paganization. And yet there's very few who do not know who Jesus is. Many of them are deeply resentful of him. And many of them are deeply resentful of those who follow him, of his disciples. But there are some, of course, who recognize the good that is done in his name and are more benevolent toward the presence of the Lord in our midst. And then, so then that says that Jesus then took him aside, because this is not going to be a public circus. This is not going to be a public display. Um, if Jesus does something spectacular in front of a large crowd, um, he's not going to get the reaction that he wants to get. The reaction that he wants to get is in some ways wonder and awe at what he is able to do. And not but wonder and awe in a sense of saying, where does this man get this? Who is he? In other words, to raise the issues of who he is and where he comes from. Um, and in other words, it was like Andrew and, and John in the very beginning, um, where Andrew's, where Jesus says, Andrew says to him, where do you live? And Jesus says to him, come and see. And the come and see then becomes the foundation of the apostolic call. Here, Jesus provides that same opportunity to pagans, that same opportunity to Gentiles. Then he said he put his fingers in the man's ear and touched his tongue with spittle. You know, this is really significant because Jesus' healing presence in the world is almost always carried out with signs, with material reality, and with signs. It is the fundamental, sacramental system of the church. It is the acknowledgement that the incarnate Son of God, God in the flesh, has, is, is himself a material being and uses the material realities of our world as instruments of his healing power, of his presence, of his relationship, of his, of his meaning to us. And so by putting his fingers in his ears and touching his tongue with spittle, Jesus is using, in a sense, the signs of the world in which we live to indicate that he is present among them and within them. And that when used through the sacraments of the church, it is the bringing forth of the person of Jesus into the lives of others. We know that at the baptismal ritual, this, this is very similar. The priest touches the ears of the child and says, you know, may you hear the word. And then he, he touches um, the mouth of the child, you know, that you may proclaim his word. That's taken from this gospel. These are the signs of faith and of proclamation, and that he's using those things now um, and setting up for us kind of a system. The idea is, too, that when Mark is writing this gospel, we do have to presume that the, that the nascent Christian community is already forming and already functioning. 
and that the signs and the miracles of the Lord are integrated into it. The Eucharist is already integrated into it. The sacramental systems, signs are already integrated into it. It's true that the sacraments are not limited to the seven until the Council of Trent, but certainly in all of those different ways in which people viewed sacramentality, there was always a connection, a connectivity with the material world in which we live and the functioning of the material world in which we live. And, and I think that, um, that this, is, this is really important for us because, you know, we can escape reality by focusing on what we call the spiritual and then say, well, you know, I'm a spiritual person. Fine. Um, what does that mean? Um, we don't know spirit separated from matter. We have never encountered it. Perhaps, perhaps some of the great saints may have seen things that we have not seen. But the things that we have always encountered, the place where we encounter the Lord, has a lot to do with the hearing and the speaking of the people the hearing and the speaking of the church. We, we know, for instance, that Paul says, how can we believe if we do not hear, and how can we hear if no one preaches? It is in this gospel, then, that Jesus looses the tongue of the man with a speech impediment, that he might speak clearly. And it is for this reason we read this also in the prophecies of Isaiah. The Lord, you know, the angel brought a burning coal and put it on his lips in order that he might speak the word of God. And, and, and the hearing, Paul says again, like I said, how can we believe if we don't hear? Hearing and speaking are essential components of the life of the Christian, essential components of the life of the church. We know that there are those who are so physically afflicted in some ways that they cannot participate in this particular form of faith. Nevertheless, um, it is it is through the speaking and the hearing of the word that that can be adapted and adjusted to the capabilities of those who do not have those physical capacities. So it's not exclusionary of those who are in some way um, restricted because of their own physical situation. And I think that this is a this becomes a great question within the church too. I remember. Um, a family that had uh, a child with a chromosomal disorder, and the child was was unable to speak, and um, at, at least in any, in any articulate sort of way. And the question became, you know, should the child re first, re, uh, receive first communion? And um, because it, would he have any sense at all of what he was doing? Well, the parents said he is very aware and he is he's very it's very clear to him um what goes on in his silent world and uh when when asked if he would like to receive the blessed sacrament um he shook his head yes and when asked did he understand that this was the body and the blood of Jesus and he shook his head yes and so certainly the lord came to him and certainly, when he received the Lord into his person, he received that which has been proclaimed in the church and that which had been heard in the church. 
And while he himself was unable to be an active participant in those faculties, he nevertheless had the consciousness and the desire to be close to the Lord. And I think that that we we have to um, the very the very fact sometimes that you you question whether someone should receive or not. We have to remember, of course, that in the in the Eastern Church, the child receives the Eucharist of baptism. So it has a, it has a uh, at least there's a question. At least there's questions about it, and uh, and questions that that should be asked, and questions that can be asked. But I would think there'd be very 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 rare situation where a child would not be would not have the privilege of receiving the body of Christ into the life, no matter what the difficulties might be. But when Jesus does this, he doesn't say, he doesn't look at it and says, say, you know, no, I'm just a miracle worker. So I lay my hands on and I touch the tongue and he's healed. But, but he looks up to heaven. It's the indication this is not just another healing miracle. God is present in this work. And there is a relationship between the God of heaven and the God of earth. The relationship, of course, is in the person of Jesus Christ, who is both. And yet Jesus connects the earth to the heavens and the heavens to the earth by looking up to the heaven and seeking in his prayer, then, the right and the possibility of bestowing speech and hearing on a person who is disabled. And then, once that had all taken place, Jesus then, once again in Mark's Gospel, um, implements the messianic secret, don't tell anyone about it, but of course they publish it everywhere, and his admiration is unbounded. Remember, he's in Gentile territory, and they say he has done all things well, and he makes the deaf hear and the dumb speak. Once we have acknowledged the tremendous significance within the story of the church about hearing and speaking, it pulls us back, we look back, we see once more the miracle. We see once more this point of revelation where Jesus connects heaven and earth and in doing so overcomes the obstacles and the consequences of the human sinfulness of our world, which has disabled many of our people and, and so forth. Um, and so it is then, once again, the healing miracle that is revelation. Revelation not only to the disciples, but revelation also even to the Gentiles. And, uh, and we, we know this is revelation to the Gentiles, is, is part of the thematic of the early understanding of the church, um, even though Jesus' primary mission was to Israel, which he states himself. But then we can drop back a minute, and we can say, all right, we've, we, we've seen the gospel put us in Gentile territory, We've seen people who are non-believers have trust and confidence in Jesus Christ. We've seen Jesus respond to that through the miracle of the healing of the, of the hearing and the, and the speech impediment. We've seen him as he does that to connect heaven and earth, to reach up to heaven, to pull heaven down to earth when he himself is the embodiment of both. And then, then he, he, he sighs, he's, he's at the prayer, the prayer deep from within, and then he says, be opened, Ephata, and the healing miracle has taken place. What are we to reflect upon in this gospel? We can certainly say, well, Jesus is great because now we have another affirmation of the divinity of Jesus. We have another affirmation of his relationship with heaven, the fact that he combines heaven and earth. 
we have another sense of, of, of a person disabled being restored to wholeness. We have all of that, and that is in our lives and in ourselves, kind of maybe an opportunity for deeper confidence and deeper trust and deeper prayer. But it should tell us something about ourselves, too. What about this sense of hearing? What about this sense of speaking? What do we do with the great gifts of the senses that we have received in the creation of the world? How do we, what do we listen to? And what do we speak about? Do we so take for granted the gifts of the Lord to us that we feel justified in totally and completely squandering them on nothingness? I think sometimes this this strikes me as so offensive if you turn on the television news sometimes and you listen, this is the sacred gift that is used to proclaim the person of Jesus Christ. And all it is is angry, hostile blathering. Half of it not true, and the other half so distorted it might as well not be true. What does this say about our respect for the Lord? What does this say about our respect for creation? What does this say about how we value the gifts that we have? And this doesn't mean there can be no entertainment. This doesn't mean there can be no frivolity in life. This doesn't mean any of that kind of thing. But I think each of us is challenged in our own way to say, what may I use my hearing for that might give greater honor and glory to the Lord. I think that we can say we could listen to music which takes us beyond the ordinary, not to the banging and the rattling and the blasting away of so much noise that has become part of the American musical scene. And it doesn't mean we all have to drift back into Mozart or Chopin or anything like that. But there's all sorts of kinds of music which are liberating for us inside of ourselves. All sorts of music which kind of takes us away from ourselves, not into nothingness or frenzy or into the gutters, but something which takes us into a better place within ourselves, a deeper insight into who we are, a deeper care and compassion for others. Obviously, obviously, the great Western music is a wonderful thing. And obviously, it can, it can help the soul to soar. But so can certain kinds of folk music. And so can certain kinds of music from different places around the world that is very different from our own. Music that seeks to touch the human heart. Music that seeks to open the human heart, to care for others, to love for others. Um, music that in some way or for us can bring some kind of peace and some kind of relaxation into our lives that we might have room and time to ponder the things of the divine. Music is one medium. Certainly edifying conversations as another medium. The conversation, for instance, of love between husbands and wives, between those who, who seek marriage. 
the kinds of language of love that goes on to strengthen and um, in its own kind of genre the the bonds of friendship between people to open them up to something other than themselves, something more than themselves, something to the care that others have for them or they have for others. Certainly that kind of conversation is something that is useful in using using the voice, um, use, using the voice in order to enrich the human soul and open it up to the possibilities of the divine. Certainly in the realm of hearing, we can hear people who are articulate, who say things that help us to understand ourselves, help us to move beyond ourselves, help us to move into the mystery of, uh, of Jesus Christ. All of those things. But useless chatter and blather, there's a certain amount of ordinary talk that's, that, that, that exists to bond a community together. A family can't be totally silent in the company of each other um, unless they have something profound to say. That's not what this means. But the kind of language that we use, the kind of speech that we have in the midst of that which helps to seal and to bond a community versus trivia, versus drivel, versus deception, versus um, corruption, all of the things that we are surrounded by in the modern media world um, this this is is sinful. This is wasting the gift of speech. This is destroying the gift of speech. It is so prevalent and it is so pervasive and it is so overwhelming that it even destroys in many ways the gift of language. It kind of devoids language of meaning. It devoids language of solemnity. It devoids language of uh, the, the the philosopher George Steiner says. You know, it it, it creates a, a cancerous loquacity within our world, and um, we have to be aware that in our lives as Christians, we guard the gifts the Lord has given us, and we use them as best we can for the well-being of others and the honor and the glory of the Lord. What do we listen to and what do we say? How do we use our gift of hearing, which we can only really deeply appreciate if we experience in some way restrictions or even know people well um, who, who, who lack the ability? It's very, very difficult for many people in old age when they lose their hearing. They find that they are more prone to, to dementia, to Alzheimer's, to senility, all of those kinds of things, because of the terrible isolation that they experience without the ability to hear. And we don't, when we realize that hearing is part of our being in communion, not only with each other, but with the Lord. What a sacred gift that is to us and what a treasured gift that is to us. How deeply should we appreciate that and how, how wisely should we, we use it. And that there is, again, nothing wrong with frivolity, nothing wrong with entertainment, nothing wrong with any of that. But when our gift of hearing is used to corrupt our mind or our heart, when our gift of hearing is the instrument of malevolent powers in order to influence our faith, our hearts, our minds, then that's when we should withdraw our hearing from those terrible things that assault us. And um, 
I, I, I think it's, it's, it's important for us to know what's going on in the world, but it's not important for us to be awash in the deceptiveness of contemporary journalism. Steiner says again, you know, the, the, uh, the, 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 mass, the mass media is, uh, is, uh, is, is deceptive, and, uh, and we know that it is. And, and it has become kind of a, a political phenomenon. Now it is no longer used only to inform. It is now used to indoctrinate. And that's a very, very wrong misuse of a gift of the Lord. The same way with speaking. What kind of language do we use? What do we talk about when we speak? When, when, when do we so reject the whole idea of silence that we waste the gift of speech on senseless and mindless blather, which is not bonding in a community sense at all, but just simply a, re, a, re, a release of some kind so that um, somehow or other I don't know what to do if I'm not talking. Or somehow or other, I don't know what to do if, if I'm not saying something to somebody else about nothing. Um, it's, a sign, it's a sign of a troubled heart. And it's a sign of a troubled soul. It's a sign that somehow or other, we don't value the gift. We don't see it as something, as something really, really um, important in the life of the human community and the life of the community of God's people with himself. The Lord speaks and the Lord hears. And the Lord hears God speaking. He hears the Father. And he speaks what the Father, I say nothing but what the Father has told me to say. He guards and he treasures the human gifts that he has as an incarnate presence of God in the world. He doesn't, he becomes actually aggravated when he hears nonsense and blather and evil things from the Pharisees or the scribes or the Sadducees. Um, and, and it distresses him, and he, he, he silences them if he can. At the same time, when we listen to him speak, everything he speaks of is of the kingdom of God. And we ourselves can grow in this sensitivity to knowing that the gift that we have of human speech is therefore the gift of edification, for the gift of learning, for the gift of teaching, for the gift of love, for the gift of companionship, for the gift of hope, for the gift of faith, for all of those kinds of things. And aside from the normal casual greetings which are expected in any kind of civilized society, in any kind of cohesive society, we ourselves should think at times about the importance of silence in our lives. Certainly Cardinal Sarah has written a book about that. The idea that silence is a time for inner conversation, a time for an inner journey, a time to see deep within ourselves and see that relationship with the Lord. So that when we do open our mouths, we have something to say. And so that when we do open our ears to the outside world, we can hear those things which are good for humanity, and we can sort out those things which are not. We can use our place in life, our place in families and communities, to nurture 
the hearing of things that build up the human spirit, to speak of the things that build up the human spirit, and take these gifts, which the Lord now has, has sanctified in this gospel, through the sacramental signs of touching and spittle, through those sacramental material signs, the incarnate Lord Jesus Christ invokes heaven to come upon earth and earth to be in touch with heaven and restores to this person what the person is so beneficial to the person for their coming to the Lord and for their singing his praises. I think that when, and, and it is so important that it is perpetuated in the whole sacramental um, ritual of baptism. And I think it's a time for us then too to thank the Lord for these gifts each day and in so doing to become more and more aware of what their proper use is in our lives. Foundations in Faith is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Foundations in Faith are available at stgabrielradio.com.